The Lord be with you, everyone, and it is great, honestly great, to be back and speaking with you. And we have, as some of you know, we've been on a road trip to Florida, and then the moving of our studio from San Antonio right up here into the hills of Bandera. And uh, you might not notice it, yet anyway, but this is a bigger and uh, much better studio, and we're just excited to be able to come in the new studio, and now with weeks ahead of us when we'll be together and sharing the Word of God. I want to just pick up where we left off. I see no reason why not, um, because the subject then is in Matthew chapter 5, And in verse 7, where it states, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The merciful who obtain mercy. And notice quickly again, it begins by saying, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed. And we've seen over and over again that word means the the richness of, of a joy that erupts from within the Spirit, which is not conditioned by circumstances or events, but comes from the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is one with your Spirit, blessed. And it brings with it that tremendous, not only gladness, but contentment and satisfaction and sense of prosperity of inner being. So, blessed are the merciful. I I think it's important then that we should find out what this is all about. Um, The merciful. Well, the merciful would be those who have received and enjoy mercy. You, You follow that. You just don't have, you called merciful in a vacuum. You, you are merciful because you have received mercy. Uh, mercy is the atmosphere in which your inner self lives, and that results in you becoming merciful. And so, merciful, those who have received mercy, enjoy mercy, and I, I would have to say, undergirding it all, stand in awe. And I use those words very carefully. Stand in awe of the mercy of God. You see, mercy belongs to God. You you just don't come up with mercy out of nowhere. Mercy belongs to God. It is right there in the pulse-beating center God is love, and love is mercy. And so mercy belongs to God. And so if we are merciful, then it is because we have received from him who alone has mercy, and he has given us mercy, and now that mercy is revealed in us, through us, and by us. So then the question immediately becomes, what is mercy? Now, here's a problem. Because, you see, mercy in modern-day usage, you know, you're you're getting tired of me saying that, but in modern-day usage, um, this word mercy, well, it's, it's got a questionable place 
in life. And I'm not sure where to put it, even when I use the word in modern day usage. Uh, it's, it's almost like that other word we looked at weeks ago, meekness. Uh, if, you, if you go by what people call it and think it is, then it's hard to think of it being blessed. And, and mercy, mercy as used in modern day language and certainly in much religious language, it does not evoke any kind of joy or sense of gladness or contentment. Let, let me tell you what I hear people saying in today's world and Christian religious world when it comes to this word mercy. They say that mercy is to be thought of as begging, heavy on that word, begging a superior to give you something that they, that is the superior, had not planned on giving. And so when that's the situation, we, we look at the word mercy. We are begging, and I said heavy on that word, because that attitude produces the mentality of a victim, a beggar. I'm asking for something that the person really hadn't even thought of giving me. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, I've got five kids who are starving to death and I, I need mercy. Please, mercy, mercy. Okay, that's one way in which people in today's world look at it. Um, and so giving uh, in a merciful way, if I'm the superior and I do the giving... Then in today's world, mercy, which they would say I'm doing, is a charitable act. I'm showing mercy. But that mercy then is a response to the misery and the pitiable condition of the one I'm giving to. So the mercy really isn't mine to give. I'm giving because the poor chap looks so pitiable. There's no other word for it. He's, he's a miserable person in the situation. For goodness sake, here's $10, you see. It's not that I have mercy to give. It's being evoked. It's being called into being by the state of the person I'm giving to, right? That's how many people look at it. And of course, in today's world, um, mercy is looked upon as a a gift, or I, like you would throw it to a person, a homeless or whatever, uh, or an action taken as a one-time event. I mean, you don't plan to do this every day, but, well, the condition called for it, and so I'll act in a charitable way. It's one time. And in many cases, we look upon it as a bending of the rules, you know, this is an unusual situation, one might say. It is something I'll only do just this once. And you can't expect this to happen again. We don't usually do this, you see. And so we act. And we would call it, in hindsight, I acted mercifully. But it meant, well, it's certainly not the way we act around here. But the circumstances, we, we did it just that once, you understand. We sort of bent the rules of the culture of this place. That's how this world looks at it. Or, or 
really, I've already said it, but let me say it again. In the eyes of the world today, mercy is associated with uh, being given to a victim of circumstances of life for their own selves, and they've come to the end of their rope, and they're about to pay the piper. That is, they're going to get the results of their actions coming down on their head. And so they plead. And the image of it is with clasped hands, with, with bent shoulders. They're, they're begging, let me off the hook. Do something so I don't have to get what's coming to me. And we call that mercy in many cases. And and it could almost be seen as a fudging of the books. This is what the chap deserves, but I, I'm going to give this. Just this once, you see. And so the one asking for mercy understands, in today's world, that what he or she is asking is not what one could expect. And so there's the pleading, there's the groveling, there's the whining, and the presenting of my terrible circumstance. Well, would you take all the things I've just said in the last few minutes and flush them down the toilet? That's how this world sees mercy, and it has been imprinted into the religious world by a gross and grave misunderstanding of who God really is. So, having got that out of the way, what does the Scripture say? What does, how does God reveal Himself as mercy? Certainly, the Word and the family of the words associated with mercy, they, they are scattered throughout all Scripture. One cannot avoid this. Um, and, and, okay, I said the family of words. There, there are, that is, a number of words that overlap with mercy. They are facets on this diamond we call mercy. And, and so they overlap, and in many times they're interchangeable. So let me give you just some of them, and we'll come back to most of them in a minute. But mercy, it, it's got in it and is therefore sometimes seen as compassion. One really cannot speak of mercy without speaking of compassion. Um, another less used but beautiful word is tender-hearted or gentle love. And you'll find those used in the prophets here and there, the, the idea that God is tender-hearted. Certainly, we know the scriptures uh, all over the place say that God is compassionate, but he's tender-hearted. He's gentle in his dealings with us. And they are two other words that go with mercy. Another, uh, kindness, and more especially, loving kindness. Now, you, if you've listened to me over the years at all, as I've spoken so many hours on loving kindness, and I have said that in our Old Testament, the translators of bygone years translated this word as mercy. And I have said that is a, a tragic thing, that loving kindness is not primarily mercy. And I say that again, but let me now flip it that mercy is rooted in loving-kindness. 
And so we cannot understand mercy without understanding loving kindness. That's another great word of Scripture. And the mercy of God is rooted in this word loving kindness to the point where translators have sometimes translated it as mercy. And and also faithfulness is another word that goes with mercy. Just hold those words in mind. This This is a big word. And it's associated with grace. How many times have you heard the person saying that that the grace and mercy, as if the two belong together? And again, we'll deal with that in a minute. But the, the grace of God, that givingness of God, that, that coming because he owns his grace and he comes at his initiative— to open our eyes, to enlighten us, and to enlife us, and keep us in grace. Well, that is, mercy is always there. When you're talking about grace, mercy is always along with it. There's another word which I love, which is an overlap word of mercy, and that is caring, you know, Casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit infinitely, limitlessly care for us. And he is limitlessly for us. He's on our side. And that's all bedded into this word mercy. For you see, mercy, you could say, is God love, that divine love, the love that God is in action. Mercy is an action word. You could say that mercy, this love in action, and listen to me very carefully here, it is God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inside our feelings, feeling with us. And that's so important. Mercy is God feeling with us. And and that is so tragic in, in today's uh, world and among multitudes of believers that the, the worst times in life is that feeling that you're feeling and you're feeling, you're feeling it alone. Did you get that awkward sentence? That, that when, when I'm in the pits, when I am as down as I could be, when blackness overcomes and overtakes me, the worst part of that is I feel that I'm alone. And yet this word mercy is telling me that God is not only sort of with me saying there, there. No, he's inside my feelings, and he feels with me. And remember, in that same context, then, it says he's moved with compassion toward us in our misery and pain and helplessness. And that, again, is not some remote deity looking at us from a vast distance without any feeling, as many theologians of the past have said, that God is without passion. No, compassion, the word means with passion. 
and and he feels limitlessly and therefore each one of us he feels with us as if we were the only persons he ever created and and so he he doesn't know about our pain he comes inside and experiences it with us that that's that's mercy um now you see i i've said it more than once let me fully say it. god is mercy this is not some attachment to God that he has when he's in a sort of nice mood. Um, the being of God, everything we've said about God is love, one has to say, concerning his mercy. Because that's who he is in all his dealings with his creation. So it's not a passing mood with God. Um, it's not a, a, a whim uh, down here in in the south in Louisiana, uh, I, I at, when they had their big uh, parade Mardi Gras, and, and I saw some people there, um, dear people, and I mean that, I honor them for their zeal and their love for God, but they had a big sign trying to arrest the attention of the giddy people there, uh, and it says God is in a good mood today. I know what they meant, but God doesn't have moods, thank God. God never has a good mood. He never has a bad mood. God just is, and he is love, and he can be no other. And one of the prime attributes of that divine God love is mercy, and therefore it's his being. It's the set of his heart will. That is, his mercy is not just a flutter of his emotions when you see what a wreck of a life you're in. No, it is the will. It's the purpose. It's the intention of God. As he reaches out to every one of us, he is mercy. It's the way he is. And it's that mercy toward us. He will not rest until he has removed everything that would separate us from him. His initiative from the Garden of Eden, when humankind raised the barrier between us, mercy is he, he refuses to listen to our little pipsqueak rebellion and says he will never rest until he has removed that separation. And that we have been brought into his rest. We have come into his peace. We have come to his joy and blessedness. That's his mercy. Does it give us what we deserve? Of course not. Uh, and he delights not to give us what we deserve. It is his passionate gladness and joy that he shall bring us from our separated condition into the arms of his love. And, and so mercy is, is the movement, and put all the energy you can find into that word movement. It is limitless movement of his very being to forgive us. Again, we're not groveling before him and saying, oh, forgive me, give me a dime of forgiveness. No, no, no. It is delight. Can I find another word? 
God delights to forgive us. He takes the initiative of forgiveness when we would never dream it was possible. It is his delight to alleviate the pain of our heart. And, of course, to alleviate, to heal our sick bodies. Yes, our sick bodies, not only our spirit and our mind and our emotions, but uh, the cells of our body, the organs of our body, are the subjects of his mercy to heal and make us whole. And, And if that raises your eyebrows, just read through the Gospels. It won't take you very long. And and just underline every time persons who were sick and were seeking healing asked Jesus for mercy. They got it right. That, that, you see, we have divided ourselves up into bits and pieces. And so you have a doctor who treats you like a piece of meat, as if there's no soul in you, as if your emotions aren't there and it doesn't matter. He just prods you as a piece of meat. And then you get another doctor and they deal just with you as a heap of energy and emotions and brain and all. You see, we, we, we cut it all up. God never does. If he, if he heals you, it is healing for your total person that mercy would give to you to restore our lost life and inheritance. So, I think, <clears throat> am I right in saying by this time that God's mercy is not an irksome duty, that God performs with a sigh, get that impression sometimes you know dear lord do i have to come again and ask for mercy and you almost see an image of god the father and oh not him again yeah you see no no this i look do you understand me when i say the isness of god that god is mercy it isn't something you do that makes him merciful it isn't something you do that causes his mercy to shrink back no All those things mean that you own his mercy and you can control it. You can't. God owns his mercy. It's not an irksome duty. It's his delight. He doesn't perform with a sigh but a shout of joy. Mercy springs unbounded from the heart of God. It is joy of God to give us the opposite of what is deserved. If we're going to talk about the word deserve, which he never does. And so it is both given and received by us with rejoicing. Oh, come on. You remember that verse, and I know it would look like an isolated verse, but the the mood of that verse is all through Scripture. It says, He will rejoice over you with singing. God sings His lullaby of delight over you, His child as he bestows his mercy upon you. Or, you know, the parables of Luke 15. And if you've been around me for long, you know that I've spent my life uh, speaking on Luke 15. But in that, that really, the whole of Luke 15, remember, it's, it's the lost sheep, it's the lost coin, it's the lost two sons, uh, and... Um, one way of looking at those uh, stories is the, it's the celebration of God's mercy. 
mercy. Um, I mean, the, the sheep goes off and wanders by itself. Why does the shepherd go after the sheep? Because it is his passion to find that sheep. That sheep is worth so much to him. And, and so mercy, nothing the sheep has done, nothing to do with the sheep. It's because of who the shepherd is, he goes after it. And, and so the father in what we call the prodigal son or the elder brother, um, in both cases, the mercy of the father that, that does not look or count upon any of the behavior of either of the sons but rather he acts in mercy, compassion. And running through that uh, chapter, the stories of the great mercy of God, there, there is a song at the end of every parable. Uh, it says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. Rejoice with me, I have found my coin. And then, of course, when it comes to the last one, the father and the two sons, it explodes beyond just rejoice with me. It describes the rejoicing. Uh, bring in the violinists, the fiddlers, bring in the drums, bring in the flutes. Let, let's dance and sing and kill the fatted calf and be merry. That, that's the song uh, of the mercy of God that so upset religion of that day, and any day come to that, uh, because uh, we, we've got this other look, as if we, we, we come to God and our heads are hung low in misery and we expect God to be frowning at us, and, and then we beat our breast and we say, Mia culpa, mia culpa, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. Have mercy on me, O oh God, have mercy. And so the whine and howl goes on and it's called religious, you know, whatever. no. <laughs> that, that's the, have you found that attitude in Scripture? God, uh, he's greeting us with a smile from ear to ear. His eyes dance at the very prospect of pouring his mercy upon you. And we come, says the Scripture, with boldness to receive mercy. It's the being of God. It's the heart of God. So, so we, we don't whine. We're not coming like victims. We're not sort of the homeless people on the highway of the kingdom of God. The Bible commands us in Hebrews to come boldly. We call upon the very name of the being of God who is mercy. And therefore, our very receiving of mercy is to honor God and glorify him for being who he is. And so it is the central expression of God's heart and therefore the central expression of the covenant. Where that's where we use it as loving kindness. And it speaks to his self-obligated heart attitude. Can you get this? You have nothing to do with God's mercy. He gives it because that's the way he is. And we are receivers because that's the attitude of giving praise to him and honoring him for being who he is. So God is infinitely for us. He's on, I said that a minute ago, didn't I? He's for us. He's, he's on your side. It's not an occasional characteristic of his being. It's his very glory. Look, 
Let, let me quote at least part of Exodus 33:18. It, it's that primal expression of God's being, His glory, the, the who God is. And it is quoted, this verse, I say it's primal, it's foundational. It, it, as God revealed his glory to Moses, and then it is repeated over and over again in different ways all through the Psalms and into the New Testament. What, what is it? Moses said uh, to, to the Lord, I pray thee, show me thy glory, the glorious radiance, the outbeing of who God is. He said, who are you? Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So goodness, goodness, the goodness of God is his glory. But carry on. And will proclaim the name of the Lord. That is the name in the Old Testament means the essential being the who God is. So he said, I'll, I'll make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim to you my isness, who I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, what does that mean? I will to whom I will be. It, it means I own this. He said, I own my grace. You can't make me be gracious any more than you can make me stop being gracious. I own it, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. It's the way I am. And I will show compassion, mercy, on whom I will show compassion. That is, it isn't because you bury your head in the carpet and breathe the dirt and dust and think that I'm impressed by that. He said, no, I do it because of who I am. And then he goes on, he's going to hide Moses and the glory of God will pass by. And then it goes on and says, then the Lord passed by in front of him. The glory of God passed and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That this, that's the glory of God. And notice it used the word compassion. It used the word loving kindness, abounding in loving kindness. All words that we've seen are sister, brother words to the word mercy. What about Psalm 116.5? Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Notice he doesn't have it. He is compassionate. Deuteronomy 4.31 For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. You see, how many times have you said quoting a New Testament uh, verse that he, he will never leave, never fail us, never forsake us. Well, they're quoting this, and, and that is so because he's compassionate. It's not some cold deal he's made with you. He, his very heart is in this. His feelings, God feels towards you. He won't let you go. He will never leave you. 
Lamentations 3.22, and, and that's quite a, an, an area of verses, but just enough to say this. It says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Did you hear that? The Lord's loving kindnesses, the word that we have, um, it's part of the mercy family, loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassion, same family, never fail. Oh, come on, you can always. Can we get this straight? I, I don't want you to write these texts down and now you're the expert who can quote them and say, no, I want you to know in the guts of your spirit, God cannot leave you. God cannot. Not because he's bound by a, some piece of paper. He cannot because that's the way he is. He has self-obligated himself to be with you and for you, and never to fail you, and never to leave you. It's, it's the way God is. And, and when I get it in my spirit, and I have inner knowing, and we can rest in His mercy, that this is the way God is. He's on our side. He is one with us in our pain. He dances with us in our joy. This is God. This is mercy. And as I said uh, previously, God's mercy joins with His grace. You see, grace, boy, I think it's time I, I did that again. Some of the stuff I'm hearing um, around about grace is far from what the Scripture says, or rather not enough. The scripture says so much more. Uh, gr grace is not just God saying that He's going to give us what we don't deserve, uh, that's a pathetic definition of grace. And anyway, it says that, that Jesus received grace, and I think he deserved it. But um, So grace isn't anything to do with uh, not deserving. Uh, and so because of these wacky definitions of words, we tend to think of grace almost as a, a welfare check, you know. Uh, I get grace and... I've asked a lot of people, what, what do you mean by that? You, you had grace, and they look at me blank. That's amazing. We use the term so much and don't know what we're talking about. Grace is not impersonal. It's not a thing that God gives. It's not a cold, faceless handout from the divine welfare. Grace. And, of course, it's not a political favor that he will call in. You know that's how governments work. I do a favor for you, and you're gonna, uh, I'm going to call you in on that, uh, and you're, you owe me. No. God's grace isn't a favor that hangs over our head now, demanding that I'm a slave to the giver. No, all of God's gifts do not demean us and in any way enslave us because all of them are joined in with mercy. Why, why does God give his strength? Why does he give this enlightenment of heart? Why does he life us with his presence? Because of his mercy. He feels with our pain. You see, it's not a dead thing he does. It's not a duty performed. It's not a check in the mail. It's himself. He... 
God himself will not stand to see us in our condition of pain and misery, wherever that comes from. He comes and he stands with us in our shoes. And any strength that we, that's grace, God himself being our strength, um, then I receive the strength of his presence from him who who knows exactly how I feel, who feels with me and says, I am your strength, I am your refuge, I am your wisdom. So he weeps with our pain, he laughs with our joy, and he rises up to restore and rescue us and bring us to the royal position that we lost. Mercy, God delighting in us. Yeah, but you must never think of mercy as God being soft on sin. When you you think, not think, when you see the life-changing reality that sin, sin is of such horror there is no word in any dictionary to say what horror it is. For the only way that sin could be removed is that God himself become one of us and take our place and goes through the sufferings of the cross and death. And only in resurrection has he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. <laughs> no, mercy is not soft on sin. Mercy knows the depths of sin as you and I do not know. And mercy exposes the heart of sin. Mercy is is the, the light that comes into our darkness to show us that, that we're, there's nothing right about us. We're, we're wrong until we see how God has righted us by his mercy. And, and, and so you... you um, as, as how can I put it? To a religious person, mercy is terrifying because religion has no concept of sin whatsoever. They, they believe that sin can be cancelled out by doing a few extra good things. Uh, so to get money in the bank, if you do a lot of good things, that will be there for you whenever you do a few bad things. Um, oh, that's always so sick. Um, but, but mercy, really, religion doesn't really see its need of mercy, although it will always call for it. But, but mercy, mercy, when religion sees mercy, it's terrifying. You see, th- this is the elder brother in that Luke 15 story. The elder brother saw his father bestowing mercy upon the prodigal younger brother. And that mercy was the embrace of love, bare, uh, rib-crushing hug, and, and the putting him into his own, the father's clothes and shoes, and, and killing the fatted calf. And here they are, the father and the son, restored by his father in the feast and the dance and the song, and rage. And it's a rage of fear. It's a fear. The, the elder brother doesn't know what to do with this because his world was, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and therefore I should have that place. 
What is this mercy that deals with people without any consideration of he, he's worked more than that chap has worked? Mercy is terrifying to religion. Because it embraces all the wrong people, you see. <laughs> In the eyes of religion, the, the, the father runs and hugs the prodigal, you're home. The elder brother would say, yes, he's home, but he's got a penance to pay. He, he's, he's got to prove himself. He, he's on parole for the next 10 years. Prove that he's changed. And the father said, all I want is to have you in my arms and restored to my table. And the religious elder brother said, but that's not justice. And God, uh, the father, uh, says the only justice is that I got my son back. Oh, mercy is upsetting to religion. And it's confusing. It was confusing to the elder brother because when the father faced the elder brother, and after the elder brother had actually insulted his father more than the younger son ever had, um, and yet all the, the father says, oh my, and he doesn't use the word son. Have you noticed that in Luke 15? He uses another word. And in the Greek, it means my dear little child, my dear little boy. It's as if he comes to this raging fellow who's got blood pressure going through the top of his head. And he, and he says, my dear little boy, come on. And he begins, you are always with me. All that I have is your... You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to... No. Mercy is both terrifying and confusing to the one watching. The mercy of God to you is enough to have a party for the rest of your life. It's limitless toward us. You see, that's the story of God's mercy from the very beginning of Scripture. He will not rest until our sin has been fully dealt with. And He will deal with it, not your doings. He will deal with it. He'll, he personally will deal with the guilt and the power, the shame. And, and so the final fulfillment of mercy is spelled out in the blood of Jesus Christ. For the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. God in Christ refuses to let us be lost in our sin. He takes our place. He endures sin at our hands and restores us to creation's blueprint. You've got verses in the Old Testament that are passionate there. Some of these verses should be put on your refrigerator. What about Hosea 11.1? 1? And the Lord is commenting on his own actions toward Old Testament Israel. He says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. He says, out of Egypt, I called my son. He's referring back to Exodus, let my people go. And he says, I, I, Israel was my child, my son. And then he goes on, yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim, just that's another word for Israel, as far as this is concerned. Um, and so that, that's an expression. You know, it, it says, when Ephraim was my little child, like I, 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 took, his, I took his hands and I, I taught him to walk. I took him in my arms. And then he says, the response of the people, they did not know that I healed them. And he says, I led them with cords 
with bonds of love. I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and I fed them. And then, because of all the sin that Israel had committed, and the Lord says what I just read, and, and, and then he says, and then he says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. <laughs> you ever thought of God looking at you and saying that? See, the mercy of God is, is tied in tight to this word loving kindness or covenant love or steadfast love. And that is always associated with doing covenant, doing, keeping loving kindness, demonstrating the covenant. It's never a passive word. And so the, the loving kindness, the mercy of God is always God in action in your life. It's always God doing. It's always God keeping his covenant promises to you. It's always God never forsaking you and being there in the moment of your need and challenge and opportunity and testing and trying. Okay, Psalm 36, 5. Your loving kindness, and remember, we could say mercy, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Well, is that David just getting super poetic? No. <clears throat> What's he saying here? Extends to the heavens. Well, the heavens, even in modern English, that, that is outer space. The heavens, where on a, a night and you look up into the sky and you see the stars and the galaxies uh, stretching out to ever and ever. And, and, well, that we call that, even today, we call that the heavens. And, and so he is saying your loving kindness, the mercy of God, rooted in his covenant commitment, he said it extends, it reaches to... You ran out of words... Because the heavens is the closest thing we know to infinity or limitlessness or foreverness. Um, nothing in creation is unlimited. <clears throat> nothing. Nothing. Everything within creation has a limit. But when we come to God, He's unlimited. And the closest we can think that is space. Um, we never think that there's somewhere an end to space with a, you know, sign up, no, go no further, you know, don't fall over the cliff. This is the end. No, you know, the, it's the closest thing. We can't imagine the end of space. Well, he says, the fact is only God has no end. Only God is infinite. And interestingly, he says he holds the heavens in, in the palm of his hand. But so there's this vastness of space, this limitless, this infinite, the closest thing that we can say it never ends, says David, that's, that's loving kindness. That's the mercy of God. Never ends. God's mercy, his loving kindness, his covenant commitment, the mercy of God. 
So mercy, it describes the feeling which flows from one to another, the feelings uh, of compassion, the feelings of loving kindness. But it's not simply an emotion, you see, in the Scripture. It is this covenant blood oath. It is that kind of committed, self-obligated love in action. It is the strength of feeling which is in the Scripture, it's always made manifest in actions. So God never talks about His loving kindness. He does it. He, he never, you know, gives you a lesson in theology. He gives you a demonstration of His love. And, and, and so it is that um, mercy then was used for this deep, tender feeling of compassion. And that compassion that came forth to to meet our troubles, our weaknesses, our suffering, the the vulnerability of someone in need of help. It's loving, passionate action toward the need of one who is much loved. And so, interestingly, especially in the New Testament, the, the phrase is usually, he was moved with compassion. That is, he just didn't say, shucks, I feel awfully sorry for you. He doesn't look and say, I sympathize with you, but you know how things are. I, I'll, I'll just pray for you. No, Jesus was always moved with compassion because that's the way God is. He doesn't talk about it. He is it in moving in our lives. And so it was used to describe uh, Psalm 103.13, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who worship him. Jeremiah 31.20 is Ephraim, and I just referenced, that's another word for Israel. Is it Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I've spoken against him, that is, against what he was doing, I, I certainly still remember him, hold him before me. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Now, the message paraphrase of that, you know, the message uh, Bible, um, sometimes they really hit the nail on the head there. Now, let me give you what I just read. Let me give it to you from the message. He says, Oh, Ephraim is my dear, dear son, my child in whom I take pleasure. Every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing for him. Everything in me cries out for him. Softly and tenderly, I wait for him. Now, I want you to take that verse, and especially in the message paraphrase, put your name in there, and you have the authority to do that, for Jesus has joined you into himself, who is mercy. Oh, Joe, Joe is my dear, dear son. Every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing. You know, Mary, Jennifer, your name is in there. This is his feeling towards you. Okay, it was also used. Mercy is also used to describe a mother love 
Those verses described a father's love is a mother's love for a nursing infant. And so, I've often said, if you would catch a glimpse within the human of the mercy, uh, divine love of God in Christ, take a quick look at the mother's face as she is absorbed in looking at her baby. And that look on her face is just a, a shadow reflection of how God looks at you. Isaiah forty nine fifteen says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Huh, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. It's, we could go on how this word is used. But the, the faithful mercy of God ends up in Jesus. The, the promises of God all find their fulfillment in Jesus. All the love that God is and the grace and the mercy, which are expressions of that love, all find their final definition, fulfillment, and triumph in Jesus. And so you have the, um, where can I, how can I say it? God came inside of our humanity, which is, of course, the ultimate definition of mercy. You're walking in someone else's shoes. You've got inside their skin. That's compassion. That's mercy. But God did this to limitless. He came inside our humanity. I mean, can you get this? God, God the Son, came inside our humanity and became a genuine human without ceasing to be God. That's what theology, we call that the incarnation. And that is mercy was incarnate. Jesus becomes the mercy of God walking on the streets of our world. He's not a remote God. He's not up anywhere. He is God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit acting for us, doing Mercy for us, toward us. God keeping mercy toward us. Jesus, let me say it as plain as I know, is the ultimate revelation of God's mercy. You, you can read in Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, you have the song of the Virgin Mary, you have the song of Zechariah. Read them. Many people have never read them. Uh, read them and see how many times the promises fulfilled in Jesus are called the mercies of God. Jesus embodied the mercy of God. Jesus is God's compassion toward us in action. Jesus lived his life in the constant sense of God's saving mercy. Okay, put it this way. People people, not everybody I guess, but the ones I was raised with 
we we were taught at least by example osmosis that we we should get the power of god and the dear people i was raised with that you, you could almost identify their membership of the church by the way they said power you know the power of god and everybody we we would fast and pray all night in prayer for the power of god and then i read the gospel and i found that the power of god in the life of jesus which was ever going forth from him but it was always on the road of mercy compassion How many times Jesus looked and saw the multitude that had been beaten up by religion and he was moved with compassion and taught them. He looked upon the sick and the suffering and it's he who was moved with compassion and healed them. the, The power of God is not some raw flash of divine lightning. The power of God comes gently, tenderly upon the roadway of compassion. He lived his life being moved with compassion toward those who were now in the grip of guilt and shame and all the pain and hurt that sin had caused. God got inside our skin. He warned with us and committed to carry us in himself to death in order to restore us to where we were created to be. And so the incarnation, Jesus, is God standing inside our fallen condition, accepting at our hands the worst that sin could ever do to the human spirit, the mind, the body. He he took it, made it his own. And so, there's never a place, can you hear this? There's never a place of horror and darkness. There's never a valley of the shadow of death. There's never a feeling of dread and fear. There's never a pain. There's never a horror that Jesus has not already stood right into, stood in the midst of it as us and overcome it. That's his mercy. He stood in our shoes and he filled our emptiness with the fullness of his love. He filled our confusion with his wisdom. He embraces us there right now as I'm speaking in the midst of our pain and misery and takes it into himself. It's not because you pray enough. It's not because you do anything certainly not anything enough. All those words are words that should be scratched out from your vocabulary. No, God's not about enough. He he doesn't want your doing. He wants us to trust His being. We we don't. it's, It's not how much did you grovel. I don't know. Some of you have been raised in those places where they have a, an altar call every Sunday. And um, I mean, good things happen there, right? but uh, in some places I've, I've seen the people come forward. They come forward every week, and, and and all the cries, all the whines, it's like a pack of howling dogs. And, and the the feeling is, and I know because I've been in that. That's where I came from. Uh, you you got to grovel. You got to convince God you're upset enough. You've got to beat yourself up enough to get God's attention. And oh mercy, give me mercy. 
No, flush that down the toilet. The, the Spirit gives us boldness. Boldness. It's a strong word. It takes a whole webinar to talk about that word boldness. It certainly means in your face. It, it means like a brass neck, as we'd say in England, um, to, to come and lay hold upon the joyous gift that's been fully revealed in Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and I'll be finished in a second. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Of course not. He stands in our shoes. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Well, in the light of that, let us therefore draw near, which is an expression of realize the presence of God, with confidence to the throne of grace. Boldness is another translation of that word the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, may find grace to help in time of need. A, a fantastic uh, paraphrase translation um, of the, the New Testament. It's called the Passion. You've got to sell your bed and buy one. Um, and, and it translates that here, come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. To receive, and that incidentally, that word, and he makes a note of it in his translation, it means to seize, to take hold of. It, it's not a, a passive receiving a Christmas gift sort of thing. This is the gift is there. Come and seize. Come and take hold of. It's yours. Come and seize, take hold of mercy's kiss and discover the grace we so urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Well, that's the, the, the grace of God uh, and the mercy of God. So what did I say? The merciful are those who have received and know the mercy of God. I couldn't start on this until we understood what mercy is. This is how God has dealt with us. This is the mercy of God. And so we receive that. We see that. We are drunk on that. Now we find ourselves being merciful. And so Luke 6.36, which is sort of parallel to the verses we're looking at in Matthew 5, he says that we'll be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We... We love one another as he loved us. It, we, we, we live by who he is. We catch his spirit and we live as he. And um, so wherever we find ourselves. See, if we live by doing, then you're going to make sure you put on some facade before God and pretend that you are where you're not, much better than you are, um, or you, you're not going to speak at all because you're ashamed. No, mercy causes you to relax. It's safe. Where, where does God start dealing with me? Where I is, where I am. And if that's in a state of anger, that's, that's okay. He's not upset. But he deals with you right there. That's mercy. He deals with you just as you are. You're feeling sin? Well, he announces to you the forgiveness that is already yours in Christ. God always begins with you where you are. And if you will not start with God where you are, 
it's very difficult because you're in two different places. You're where you would like to think he would believe you would be, where he's where you're really at. So, come boldly. And it, warts, everything just hanging out. Come on, come boldly. Come to the love seat of God. And there, seize upon this mercy and seize upon the grace that always accompanies so that, that that's the, the strength you, you urgently needed at this particular time. And in so receiving, so you become merciful. Now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May your eyes be opened to see his mercy toward you that you might feed upon that mercy in the depth of your being. And so wand with his mercy that you shall become merciful. So I bless you. So it is. Amen. And next week we'll get to the text because you're ready to hear how you be merciful. See you then.